Do you enjoy being together singing hymns? Amen. Amen. Wow. As we come together around the Word today, I have a couple other announcements that I need to make. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 119. Um, Psalm 119, I forgot to look up the uh, number in the Pew Bible. Hang on a second here. I'll be looking at not the whole Psalm, has 176 verses. That would take a little bit of time. Page 513 is where we'll be in the, the Pew Bible. Toby wanted to be with you today. Uh, he tried all week to uh, kind of fight down a sickness that he was fighting. And uh, Friday night he finally said, nope, but uh, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and so uh, he prayed that he will be able to get better. So be able to enjoy his next week. is supposed to be a vacation week for him. So pray that he is able to enjoy that, that time of refreshing also, I wanted to make an announcement for an, uh, a members meeting that will be taking place the first Sunday in January, January 3rd. This will be two weeks from today. It will take place following the morning service. Um, it's important for each family's, uh, each member's family to be represented at that meeting, if at all possible. I know several of you are live streaming from home, and uh, it's making it difficult for us to be together and take care of family business. Uh, but if possible, uh, to have a representative here, that would be good. There will be correspondence to follow it uh, to keep those of you who aren't able to be here uh, posted on, on what's taking place. Uh, COVID has kind of already pushed this meeting back a little bit further than what the elders would have liked, but um, we would like to go ahead and have that, that take place on January 3rd, so please put that on your calendar. Um, as we go to the Lord's Word today, also um, we'll bow, bow in prayer here in a minute. Uh, but Larry Fortner, those of you who know uh, Larry and Janet uh, and Jen Google, who's one of our kindergarten teachers, Larry Fortner went home to be with the Lord also on Friday afternoon uh, after about a week in the hospital. So please keep them in your prayers. I have not heard any of the arrangements for that uh, either. But let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time, shall we? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for the comfort that it brings to us, for the strength. And God, we pray right now again for Margaret Anderson's family as well as uh, the Fortner family and Jen Google and her family. We pray that you would strengthen them. Uh, we know um, also there are many in our congregation here who are also have lost loved ones in the past year, making this uh, time of Christmas a, a little bit more difficult. We know, Lord, that we do not um, grieve as those who have no hope for these that we have lost in you are not really lost, but we've just said goodnight to, and one day we will meet them again um, when we will all be with you in your presence. But Lord, we know in the, in the meantime there is pain, there is sorrow, there is separation and grief in that, so we pray, Lord, that your comfort and peace would reign supreme in our hearts and our lives, and as we go through the season that we remember that uh, we can find hope even in grief because your son came as a baby, lived in this pain-filled life, died and yet rose again and because he rose again we look forward to the fact that we too will rise again and in this we pray in Jesus name amen as we turn to Psalm 119 um, verses 49 to 56 will be the stanza of Psalm 119 we'll be looking at uh, today and let's start by reading it here together remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope this is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. 
Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night. O Lord, and I keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Remember, three times in this stanza, the word remember is included. Now, in the ESV, of a lot of other different translations does not do this, but ESV tends, the second one, to change and translate it, when I think of your rules. It's actually the same word that we see in verse 49 and in verse 53 that is translated remember. And serves as a means of kind of breaking up this little stanza. Remember. Now, Christmas is a time of remembering, isn't it? Memories in the past. I know in my family this past year, it has been a time of remembering past year's traditions throughout the year. Dad, you remember last year and this year when we did this? And he said, but not this year. And then little Aiden chimes in, because of COVID. You know, everything is because of COVID. We're not doing it this year. Last year, we would go to Grandpa and Grandma's house, but not this year because of COVID. Ugh, what a year 2020 has been. For those of us who like our routines and schedules, it's been quite a frustrating year, has it not? Yet, yeah, it's been a humbling year. It's been a revealing year. The idols in our hearts of what we want. And it's been a shaping year. What is most important to us as individuals and as a church? And you know, on top of all the restrictions and closures that we've experienced, we're living in a time of cultural shift. National shifting of the scene not knowing what is coming on the horizon. But as we look at this stanza today, that's all right. Because we have other memories. Memories that are rooted in God's word that are actually more important. One of the, just recently, a, uh, one of our members here has recommended a book uh, to me that I've been reading. It's a, actually a four-volume set entitled 2,000 Years of Christ Power. It works through church history over the last 2,000 years, but what's so fascinating is the way it's told is it's emphasizing and glorifying Christ's power through the times. And it certainly helped me maintain a proper perspective of the times in which we live and given me many reasons to be thankful that I live in this time. You know, sometimes we're tempted to say we live in unprecedented times right now, and yet as you look at history, there are many other civilizations throughout history, many other periods of church history where there has been much worse affliction than what we have had in 2020. We've just been spoiled the last 200 years. However, when we experience changes in our lifetime that we deem to be a setback, where some of the freedoms that we've enjoyed are taken away, we are tempted to think back on memories and say, ah, I long for the good old days. I remember when we could do this or that. As children of God, we must not get caught up in this trap, however, of wishing for the good things that are in the past. For as a child of God, the things that are in the past are pale in comparison to what we have to look forward to in the future. Oh, may we not get caught in this trap of wishing for the years gone by, but rather that as we look at memories, we would be reminded that God is faithful, and because He is faithful, I long for the day when the rest of his promises are fulfilled. So as we'll see in our text today, we must look back to learn from the past, but in doing so, we must remember the written word of the Lord 
that we might possess three things, hope, comfort, and blessing. The Lord's word blesses his afflicted servant with hope, with comfort, and with faithfulness. In the first part of the stanza, in verses 49 through 51, we see the first thing that the psalmist, who calls himself your servant, the Lord's servant, he says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Remember, the, remember your word, he says. His, his prayer is to the Lord, but as he's reflecting on the Lord's written word, he was reminded that God is faithful, and so he prays, Lord, do exactly what you've promised that you would do. Now, the written word of the Lord is the main focus of this whole psalm. And I don't know how many of you have actually sat down and read Psalm 119 from start to finish, all 176 verses. I can remember one of the first times I did it, and I was marking through and seeing how many times God's word was mentioned, specifically. And as you go through all 176 verses, there are only five in the whole psalm that do not directly mention God's word. This is important. In the all 176 verses, there are two overarching themes within the psalm. Why the servant of the Lord should value God's written word, and how the servant of the Lord shows he values the word of the Lord. The value that the servant places on the word of the Lord comes out right away as we see in the stanzas. The way he writes, and throughout the whole psalm, he writes in the first person, in addressing the Lord. It's filled with intimacy, delight, passion, and devotion to the Lord and His Word. Yet in the midst of all the verses, there is sprinkled in these references to affliction, to being mocked for being one who values his relationship with the Lord. Now, we can speculate concerning what exact books of the canon that we have in our, in our hands today that he was referring to when he talks about the written Word. But what we can be assured of is that what he had, he treasured. From the very, because it was, came from the very mouth of God and it expressed the very thoughts of God. Have you ever had a time in your life say, I wish God I knew what you're thinking? I wish I knew what your will is for my life? <laughs> and God responds, I've shown you. I've given it to you. When I was a young man, the Lord laid upon my heart a, a love for the Word, but also a love for those people who didn't have the whole copy of God's Word. And I prayed, and at the age of 12, I started praying, Lord, I want to take your Word to the Soviet Union. And uh, the Lord gave me the, the privilege of being able to take His Word to some folks over there and to interact with them. These are folks who were in their 70s and 80s who they'd only had as much as one page of God's Word at a time up to that point. And that's not that long ago. This was back in... 92. And for the first time in their life, they were able to hold, I think we were just handing out the New Testaments, if I remember right, but at least the, the New Testament, and they treasured it. All their hymns were handwritten, because even their hymn books were confiscated because the hymns they sang contained Scripture, because they treasured it. Well, when we look at Psalm 119, this is the picture we see here of the psalmist, the servant of the Lord. This is his delight. He calls it to his mind. He remembers the written word. Now, I know we're kind of jumping into the middle of this psalm, but this is actually a psalm I've been working through on my own. Uh, at this time of this year, I thought, Lord, I, I need some encouragement. 
I said, I don't know where I'm going to go, Psalm 119. And so I've been kind of working through stanza a day. And as I came across the stanza, I said, Lord, I think this is something our church needs to hear. To hear some encouraging words of comfort and hope as they were reminded of the faithfulness of your word. Notice here that the, that the servant says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. That God's word, God in his word, has caused the servant to have hope. What is this hope based on? It's, it's on his word, what he has seen in the past, that, that God's word is being fulfilled. His promises are true. What God says comes about. So let's pause for a minute and let's think back some of the verses he may have been looking at. At least probably the first five books of the Bible. Consider the book of Genesis. Um, we have been working through the early parts of the book of the Bible. Actually, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus with the kids um, in their, their quiet times right now. And as you look at Genesis chapter 1, God's word does what? Creates everything that we see. What God said happened, didn't it? We get to Genesis chapter 2. God told Adam and Eve, this is what you are to do in the garden. This is why I put you here. This is what you are to do. But one thing you shall not do, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. We see in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they doubt God's word, they distort God's word, they deny God's word, which then leads to selfish desires leading them ultimately to disobey God's word. And instantly what happens? They're full of disgrace. Their distance between one another, their distance between themselves and God, and ultimately they're removed from the garden and they experience spiritual death. And we move to Genesis chapter 5, we see it follows with a person lives, he lives so many years, and he dies. What do we learn just from that little bit? God says something, and it happens. When we try to live life differently than what God has said, what happens? We are faced with disgrace. We are faced with distance from God and one another. We are faced with death. We are faced with all sorts of distress. God's word is faithful. But as the psalmist would reflect on other psalms, he would see where Joseph said to the children of Israel, hey, when you leave this place in Egypt, take my bones with you. What was Joseph hoping in? The word of the Lord. The promises to Abraham that I was going to give you this land. I was going to make you a great nation and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Joseph found hope in God's promises. And so as the psalmist reflects on the word that he has, he is removed to respond in, in hope. I can have hope. It doesn't matter what I'm facing in this day. For God's word takes place exactly as he says. God has shown to be consistent. And not only consistent, but actively involved as the overall nature of what takes place in this world, but also involved in the very individual lives of his people. Therefore, Psalm 49 turns into a prayer to the Lord. Lord, remember your word. Act according to your word, just as you always have done in the past. And so he is made, he is caused to have hope. You know, this comes, this, this time of meditation, in order to have that kind of hope, we have to know God's word, don't we? 
we have to spend time soaking in God's Word. Some of you have done something new for the first time this last year, as I've talked to some of you. You've shared just the joy you've received from reading through God's Word for the first time in your life. The things, the new things you have gleaned from it, the things you haven't seen before. And every time you go through these verses, it's amazing how God shows you new things, isn't it? Maybe not earth-shattering things, but little glimpses here and there. When I found out that I was going to have to preach this Sunday, I, I tried to come up with something else between yesterday so I could dig a little bit more in this passage. I was having too much fun digging into it. At the end of the last minute, I said, no, I've just got to stick with this text. Because it's exciting studying God's Word. It's, it's as if you're filling a sponge with, with God's Word so when the pressures of life squeeze you, what comes out? God's Word. It puts on spectacles. When you look at life, you're looking at it through God's Word. It helps you filter and, and to think accurately about what's taking place in the world around us. And so that instead of despair in what we see around us, we are filled with hope. Now, how does the hope of God's Word change life in the sin-cursed world? The, the psalmist here says that the Lord's promise gives life to His afflicted servant in verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction... That your promise gives me life. Notice, first of all, the psalmist does not say that the affliction is removed, does he? His, his life comes in the affliction. The affliction does not destroy him. God does not remove the affliction. Instead, the Lord's word, specifically his promises, renews, restores, sustains him in his relationship with the Lord. Therefore, he has comfort. In fact, if you look ahead a couple stanzas later to verses 67 and 68, we read, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, but now, what? After I've been afflicted, right? But now I keep your word. Now, now listen to what he says in verse 68. How does, he, how does he look at a God who would cause affliction in his life? You are good, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. Statutes are things, are principles that are engraved in stone. Lord, you are good, and you do good, even when you cause affliction in my life. For in that affliction, it, it trains my feet to walk in your ways. Look also at verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me. Consider verses we see uh, even in the New Testament, right? James says that in the process of experiencing trials, it causes us to, in, to endure, to grow in our faith. Here is a psalmist, here is a servant who said, Lord, I know that you have afflicted me, and there's promises in affliction, and this is not the end, that there's something greater coming. And so I, I want to learn from this affliction. Maybe he's reflecting back on the book of Deuteronomy. When Moses writes in verse 8, 3, speaking of what the, how the God treated the Israelites in the wilderness, he said, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where do we see that in the New Testament? Does anyone remember? Oh, that's right. I'm not in a classroom. I'm used to interacting. 
It's in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, isn't it? Here's Jesus. Jesus come in flesh. I know this isn't your typical Christmas message, but hang with me here. Here's Jesus, the creator of the universe, the author and finisher of our faith, comes among men to live in this sin-cursed world, to willingly endure the suffering and the curse of this life, and to endure temptation so that the author of Hebrews would say, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And what did Jesus meditate on? How did Jesus respond to temptation? The same way the psalmist did. Because he had meditated on God's word. Because he had knew God's word. And he quoted it. And Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. If it was important for Jesus, if it's important for the psalmist, I think it's important for us too. In other words, because God's word has given life in the past, it will continue to sustain life in our experience today. What is it about God's word specifically that the psalmist is addressing here? He's talking about the promises of God. God's verbal commitment in the past to do what he has promised in the future. Because his word gave me life yesterday and he has promised to sustain my life tomorrow, I can and I will trust him to enable me to live today according to his word in the present. We go to 2 Peter 1.3, we learn that that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That God's word is sufficient. And so we trust it. And so we rely upon it and we learn it. But God's word is not only life-giving when experiencing the affliction, but it also enables the servant of the Lord to be steadfast in the ways of the Lord when experiencing the attacks of the wicked. You have the affliction from without, from living in a sin-cursed world. But now he's talking about in verse 51 that there's those who oppose the ways of God who are opposing him because he values God. And whether it's affliction from a sin-cursed world or the, the attacks of those who oppose God, the results are the same. The Lord's servant has perseverance. He can walk in hope and not despair. Because he's remembering the Lord's written word. In the next part of this stanza, in verses 52 to 54, we see that the psalmist is remembering, that remembering the Lord's just rule that leads him to possess comfort as well. The Lord's written word gives hope, and now it gives comfort. At first glance, it appears that the psalmist finds comfort in the, in the laws and the regulations that God has given to us in his word. But that's not the right meaning of this word, the right understanding. This word is, is rather speaking of God's authoritative and loving rule. In the Middle Eastern culture, uh, one of the things that's actually more important than written rule, as we've learned from our, our guests in our home, is that he, would, he would, would sooner, he would rather break a written rule, even of the Quran than break a tradition that was passed down from his father or his grandfather. The honor of the fathers, of the head of the household is so important, more important than even the written rule. And here's the psalmist here in a very similar mind. says that here I, I am devoted to God's written word, but I also am remembering the fact that as a patriarch, my God is authoritative 
and loving in the rules that he has passed down to me. His decrees are both sovereign and just. When I look back on the way he has, he has worked with man in history, I am reminded that the way God rules in this world is that it is just, it is loving, it is fair, it is right, and it is good. And so as I see the un, in, injustice in this world, I am moved to find comfort not in this life, but in the just rule of my sovereign and good Father. He finds hope in God's written word. And as God's practice of ruling has been consistently just, he can take comfort. Now the root word, the root word for comfort here carries with it the idea of breathing deeply. Think of a great sigh, right? Get home from work, you plop down in a chair, and what do you do? <sighs> right? It's an outward expression of a deep feeling that you are experiencing. And when I come home and I sit down in a chair and I do that, in fact, it happened earlier this week, my wife will say, uh, What's the problem? Now, there's two things going on in my mind, right? There's a couple of different aspects that are taking place, a couple of different emotions that are wrestling in my head. First of all, I want to say there's nothing wrong at present. Why? I'm in the comfort of my own home. And so I sigh. Whew. I'm in a shelter. I can watch my kids playing care, carefree and my younger kids with their Legos, with their cars. But at the same time, I'm sighing in the comfort of my own home. There's another sigh, another meaning behind that sigh too, isn't there? It was a long day. I was faced with the frustrations of affliction in this sin-cursed world. I am sorrowing over circumstances that I experience today, the stress of life, frustration with personal limitations, failures, and inadequacies. And so I'm sighing in sorrow. I'm also sighing in comfort that kind of go hand in hand here. However, I am very quickly brought back to reality that the comfort of my home cannot and must not be where I find my eternal comfort as the carefree playing of my younger kids soon turns into selfish brawling. And then the selfish father is moved to this phrase, hey, move that downstairs, you're upsetting my peace. <laughs> Comfort, we long for it. And we long for it in our homes. But those, that cannot be the place that we search for comfort. We must find our comfort in something that is outside of this world. And the psalmist has found it. It's the loving rule, the just rule of his father. And so I take comfort in you, O oh Lord, the self-existent one, the one who created this world, the one who transcends all things. To what do you turn for comfort? To what have you turned to comfort in this last year? Comfort food? Oh, I love my meat and potatoes and mashed potatoes and gravy. Ice cream? I mean, we joke about it. Self-indulgence of all sorts. As you look at the author of Ecclesiastes, he tried all sorts of things to find comfort, didn't he? Building things, gardening, music, women, entertainment, Buying things, purchasing things, recreation, 
You know, none of these things last. None of these things will provide true comfort. You know, I, I'm reminded even Brent Shingleton, right? Here he is. He, Brent has always been a very healthy guy. He does hiking, lifts weights. And a simple thing like setting up a train track around the tree, something gives. And we're reminded that the things in this life in which we can find comfort and, and hope and strength, they're fleeting and can all so, too soon quickly pass away. I, I, I'm thinking of this, taking a, a, a deep breath and, and, and the sign and finding comfort. I'm reminded of one of the side effects of the virus we're experiencing, right? People are struggling to breathe, and, and as that congestion soaks down into their chest, they, they're trying to breathe, and they're fighting for every breath, and they feel like they're suffocating, they, they're going to die, they panic, right? And sometimes in life, we feel like we're under that kind of suffocating weight of the, of the pressure of sin and affliction and the hatred of those around us, and we're tempted to think, I just want to find comfort somewhere, somehow, immediately, and God tells us, wait, turn your attention to the comfort you can only find in me. Discipline yourself to find hope in my rule. I'm still on the throne. All is not lost. I know the end, and I'm moving all of history to that end. God's answer is to remember, to delight in God's word, for in it we are reminded of his faithfulness, his mercy, his eternal decrees. And what do we have? True, eternal comfort that does not pass away. In fact, it's interesting in the nature of this word for comfort where he says, I take comfort. The, the, the idea is here is that I am able to comfort myself. Not that he is able to in his own strength, but that in God's written word that God has given him the tools to enable him, to equip him, to bring his mind under control, to renew his mind, that he might walk a transformed life. But not only does this just rule of the Lord give him comfort, but it moves this servant to look on wickedness as he does too. Look what he says next. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. I look at those around me, I think of those who oppose it, like how can they? It's so wonderful. It's so full of hope and comfort. God, I hate those. And this hot indignation is strong language. It possesses me. It determines how I look on wickedness. You know, in, in one or one another series, we've, we, we just wrapped up. We saw multiple times the importance of speaking the truth of God's word into each other's lives. And one of the reasons was so that our senses would not become dull to the conviction of sin. That our consciences would not become seared. That we would not grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh, that we would have hot indignation concerning the sin in our own life. Concerning the idolatry that's in our heart. You know, this, this idea that in, when we remember God's just rule, when we take comfort in His Word, when we are meditating on His Word, that it, it, it creates within us a hot indignation for wickedness, this is a gift of God to us. Consider the difficulty of turning from sin if God never gave us a distaste for the things that oppose Him. This hatred towards the opposition of God's ways must begin in our own lives. 
And so the word of the Lord is full of verses that speak that one is truly in the Lord, someone who has truly found new life in Him, they hate sin. Just for one instance, John 3, verses 20 to 21. Jesus is speaking. He says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light, has a hot indignation for the light. He does not want his wickedness to be exposed. But on the other hand, whoever does what is true, whoever is depending upon the words of the Lord, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Not that we can somehow walk in the light in ourselves, but that God has given us the ability to walk in the light. And those who do hate the sin and love the light. So the just rule of the Lord gives comfort. It moves his servant to look on wickedness as he does. And the Lord's statutes are the content of his servant's song. I love the way we sing here. It's encouraging. It's much different at home, isn't it? You know, we got seven people. I think that's a crowd, but man, whew, it wasn't too pretty <laughs> when we tried to sing. I love the encouragement of singing together. Well, the psalmist here, the statutes of the Lord have been his songs. Where? In the house of my sojourning. I'm reminded again of another passage in Deuteronomy chapter 31, where Moses was instructed to put God's covenant to song. Why? To teach it to the people of Israel. Put it on their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. Songs are wonderful in the fact that they turn us back to the Lord as long as those songs are full of the statutes of the Lord. If the word is not known well enough to become songs in the night when darkness won't lift and the heaviness of life begins to swallow you up, then consider whether God's statutes have become your statutes. You see, statutes here is referred to something that has been engraved in stone. The Lord's statutes that are engraved in stone are so engraved on the servant's mind that they become songs that play in his head without end. Darkness in life can come from a lot of different places, whether it's from original sin that we live in a sin-cursed world, my personal sin, or someone else's personal sin against me. But there's also affliction in this world we experience from God's ordination, things that he has designed for us to cause us to find dependence upon him. But the psalmist would say, take comfort, God's word, his eternal statutes are true and sufficient when he says that joy comes in the morning and that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And there's a, there's a contrast here between the engraved statutes of the Lord and where the psalmist finds himself, in the house of my sojourning. A contrast between God's statutes that are eternal and the nature of the servants living in this world that is temporary. Everything in this life is fleeting. Life is but a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, Paul is detailing about the decline of the human body, that we are, we are jars of clay. 
And as we go throughout our life, our, as our bodies are being destroyed day by day, as Christians, our, body, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And so Paul's aim is that whether here in the body or absent, his goal is to be pleasing to God. So just pause for a moment and consider how this truth alone impacts your perspective on the past year and the place where you find yourself today. Where do you find joy? Or maybe a better question, what do you find robs your joy? How would you finish the statement, I wish? What do you daydream about? What brings you the greatest pleasure in your day? What do you fear losing the most? Now, Jesus prayed in John 17, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified. How? In truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So here's Christ praying for us. These afflictions, these trials, they're in our life. But in those things, we can be sanctified. We can be reminded these things in this life are fleeting. And so I must not find comfort. I must not find hope in the things in this life. I must look to God's word, his truth, his promises, his just rule, his statutes that are eternal. Remembering the Lord's name also brings a blessing to a servant here in the last two verses. I remember your name in the night, O Lord. And keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. What is he remembering? The name of the Lord. Now, in this passage, there's the proper name of God mentioned, O Lord, the self-existent one, the one who's transcendent, the one who controls all things. But this, this name includes more than just his proper name. It includes his whole character. All of the things that he does Everything that he is like. You know, if I were to ask you to describe God, what would you say? Maybe we could have a contest. The next five, take five minutes and write down everything you can think of that, that characterizes God. Do you have a lot there on the tip of your tongue? The forefront of your mind? The psalmist is thinking about that. And when he does, blessing falls to him. But here's the interesting thing. When does he remember his name? In the night. When things are heavy, in the midst of the depression and the, and the struggles, that he is so aware of who God is, so intimately acquainted with who God is, has such a relationship with God through spending time in his written word and his revelation of who he is, that when things are most challenging, he remembers. He remembers the faithful one the transcendent one, the self-existent one, yet also the one who knit me together in my mother's womb, the one who has written all of my days before year was yet one of them. I know from talking with many of this year that this last year has been good and that you have learned a lot of things about God's word, but I'll tell you, our new reading guides are out there in the foyer today. Take them all. We'll print some more this week, fill it up next week as well. Commit to spending time soaking in God's word that you too may have hope and comfort. 
But he also says that there's a blessing that falls to him. What is this blessing? Is it a removal of the affliction? Is it a removal of the mocking? Relief from the trials and suffering? The servant would say no. This blessing has fallen to him, that he has kept the Lord's precepts. That's interesting, isn't it? The blessing that we receive as servants of the Lord is the ability to persevere in the Lord. James 1 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'm reminded back to my junior high and high school days of conditioning practice for soccer. I hated it. Height of allergy season, height of hot and humid weather, and we had to do nothing but run for two weeks solid. Long distance running, we'd run with the cross-country team and lots of sprinting. Well, if you haven't looked, if you haven't noticed, I'm a little short on the one end, so I have to work twice as hard as everybody else. But, you know, there's importance for that conditioning, wasn't there? You know, every day we would run just a little bit further, a little bit harder. I'd remember how fast I ran, I'd remember how far I ran, and I'd think, I made it that day, I can make it today. It's interesting, I also asked God to help me through that day, too. And every day I'd make a little bit further. And throughout the season, we would run a mile every day, so every day I'd try to make it a little bit faster, a little bit faster, a little bit faster. The goal was not that I was preparing to win a race. What was I seeking to do? To grow in endurance so that I could run and sprint for 90 minutes of a soccer game without sitting on the bench. Now, some of my teammates didn't approach conditioning with that same attitude. They hated it. They would go as slow as they could and still be, the coach be okay with them. Well, it showed up in the game. They were the ones that were sitting on the bench. They're the ones that are always getting passed up. They're the ones that were complaining about the refs, complaining about the, the way the game went. Who was blessed in the game? Those who had learned to endure through the conditioning. They learned that the coach was pushing them, was causing affliction in their life because he wanted them to have a good game. And so no matter what the result of the game was, those who had been trained by, with, with, the, with the affliction and endured could get to the end of the game and rejoice in a well-played game no matter what the outcome of the final score was. Ah, but here's where we have a difference and a contrast to what we've been studying this morning. Yes, God's word in affliction causes endurance. But we are guaranteed the win. God's word is full of hope, comfort, and the blessing that we will endure. Why? Because the seed of the woman did come. Because all nations will be blessed through Abraham's seed. Because a descendant of David is already sitting on the throne, and he will forever. That another servant of God would come into this afflicted and wicked world to intentionally and willfully suffer so that we might have eternal hope, comfort, and blessing. You know, throughout history, Satan has attacked God's word right from the very beginning. Did God say... God did not say, do things your own way. 
And all the way we see it up to the Gospels when he twists God's word in tempting Jesus and to the point where he tries to kill Jesus on the cross. And then we hear Jesus' testimony to Pilate. Pilate, you have no authority except that what's been given to you by my Father. We see Peter in his first sermon in Acts 2. It was God's plan from before the beginning of time that Christ, his suffering servant, would be crushed. That Jesus would come as the living word. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that, has, that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the doctors has not overcome it. John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But you see this hope, this comfort, this blessing of endurance, if you've noticed through the psalm, is only available to who? The Lord's servant. Maybe some of you are sitting here this morning and you are not the Lord's servant as of yet. Maybe you have never bowed your knee. Maybe you've not recognized the fact that doing things your way does not work. It only provides more problems. That somehow I can fight off this sin. Somehow I can conquer this habit. That if I can make it through this life, one day I'll turn to the Lord. The comfort, the hope, and the blessing in this moment life comes to the one that has submitted his knee to the Lord. Who has said, Lord, I, I can't do it. I recognize that, that Jesus came as a baby, but he didn't stay a baby, but he, he lived a life of sinless perfection, always submitting to the will of the Father. And at the, at the temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he willingly goes to the cross and lays down his life. It was not taken from him. But he did not stay in the grave. But three days later, he rose again. And he says, all who come to me, I will no way cast out. Bow your knee to him. You will have eternal hope. You will have eternal comfort. And you will have the blessing of walking in perseverance in the midst of great affliction and great trials. Wherever you find yourself putting your hope in instead of Christ, your hope is perishable and will perish with you. But servant of the Lord, where are you living? And where are you putting your hope as you look at your life in this last year, as you've listened to your conversations, in times of wilderness seasons, in times of affliction and difficulty, things not going your way, where do you find your comfort? Where do you find your joy? Do you persevere? Jesus, the faithful suffering servant, has gone before us. He is the author and finisher of our salvation. He has called us to walk in the power of his spirit, and he has given us these words of comfort. And I want to close with these words. It's coming from our Savior in John chapter 14. Here he is, he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, this is not a house of sojourning, grant you, but in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of year where we are filled with memories. Good memories, sad memories. But Lord, as we think about your coming into this world as a man, to die on the cross, to be raised again, to give us hope and comfort and the blessing of endurance. May we be found to be faithful, Lord, not because of what we can do on our own, but may you strengthen us by your word through your spirit. Cause our minds to be renewed, and may we walk in your ways. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.